TED Audio Collective. I'm a 1950s style nerd, meaning that I just want to build things and create things. And I don't pay much attention to matters of building empires or that kind of large aspiration. Just want to make things happen. And that's the spirit of Consumer Reports. Hey, everyone. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and this is a special episode of ZigZag, the podcast about the changing culture of business and work. And uh, Jen's actually here at the beginning. Jen Poyant, my co-founder of Stable Genius Productions, my co-everything. Aww. We, we haven't had babies. Well, we have had babies. We've made podcasts together. Anyway. <laughs> Hi, Jen. We made a business baby together, too. We made a business baby together. Jen and I just wrapped this interview that I did. Knowing you were there while I was in the studio, it felt really good. It felt like old times. As you know, I am totally geeking out about this interview today. I feel like this might be the culmination of your nerdy, nerdy tech and business career in a way that's just, it's beautiful. But I want you to explain why. Like, I want you to explain how this interview relates to uh, your work at Note to Self and now how it relates to ZigZag. Okay, the, the two podcasts that we make. Yep. So this is a conversation with Craig Newmark. He's the founder of Craigslist. He's now a billionaire philanthropist who like is giving his money to really amazing causes. And Marta Tejado, she is the CEO of Consumer Reports. That's the nonprofit that rates and advises shoppers, all, all of us on all the stuff we buy from like our dishwashers to our phones. But here's why I'm so excited about it is because now, of course, everything that we buy is smart or connected. And we don't know if these things are taking our data, what they're doing with our information. Like or, like Nest or Ring or Alexa or... Or your TV. We have no idea, like, what information they're collecting. You don't know what they're doing because there's not been a watchdog. There's not been, like, a place where you can have which, what data are they collecting? What personal information are they taking from me? How are they using it? Where are they keeping that information? All the things, like the privacy issues that are actually playing out in your living room and in your kitchen and in your pocket every single day. And can I just interrupt you for a yes, second? Yes, sorry, I got all excited again. I know, your your eyes are very bright right now. <laughs> you have been obsessed with this journalistically for a long time. And I just want, I want people to know about the work you did. And it was pioneering work. Thanks. On, With uh, you. Pro- thank you. But you, this is really your, your passion. Yes. And my passion is to help you make the work sing and accessible. So I just want to note that, that, that you, you really pioneered a project to explore what happens to people's data. It was called The Privacy Paradox, and we did it together on Note to Self at our work at WNYC years ago. Can you tell people about that? Yeah, so that was in early 2017, before all everybody learned about Facebook giving away our information to everyone and Cambridge Analytica and all the things. Mm-hmm. We did a project where we had 50,000 people sign up for one week. They listened to podcasts and did newsletters and tried to understand where their personal information goes. And we called it the privacy paradox because the paradox is we care, all of us care very deeply about, you know, our data and our personal information. The problem is we just don't have choice as consumers. We don't know where that stuff is going. And we don't know if there are alternatives. Like if you are stuck out in the boondocks and need to get somewhere, you're 
going to call an Uber. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it because yeah. it's you don't have many choices. So it was really like two and a half years ago, the idea was to start this conversation. And that brings us to this moment here, which is what we're going to talk about with Craig and Marta, which is that Consumer Reports, the kind of original watchdog for consumers about whether companies are doing right by their customers, is now turning its attention to this issue, how information data gets collected about us. Also, some of the other things that these companies do, whether it's blockout competition or whether they try and get you to behave a certain way, Mm. all the things that we have sort of talked endlessly about on our other podcast, Note to Self. But that also brings us right here to ZigZag, which is this idea of businesses and work, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. That we, because it's about the changing culture of work. And I think we're at this moment where all the conversations about privacy and our relationship with our technology and all of these things are starting to change how, and me too, Uh, The Me Too movement, ideas about inclusion and diversity, all of these things are coming together in some way and changing how people run companies, what they make in those companies, how we work together, um, whether it's working remotely, whether we make sure we have people who don't look like us on our teams. I think all these things are at this moment where it's like a huge shift is coming. Mm -hmm. This is my prediction. But I think that's what Craig and Marta see too. And it's so to be clear, Craig has made a huge gift, monetary gift yep. to Consumer Reports to start a digital lab where they're going to review all the things that we use every single day from the smart speakers in our homes to the apps that we use on our phones, like to track our periods. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to empower consumers, find ways for us to live and work with our devices that speak to our values, as well as incentivize businesses to innovate and make products that take our digital rights seriously. Right. It kind of creates a check that's not there right now for these big businesses, right? Yes. Well put, Jen Poyant. It's like a little bit <laughs> like... simply put. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's not government regulation, but it's getting them to get on board. And there's a, there's someone watching them. It's like a, they're creating a little bit of a watchdog for the first time. That's how it works. There's this period when somebody creates something new and everyone's like, this is cool. And then something very bad happens or people start to test it and start to ask for um, rules to be put around it and standards and regulation. And then we can live with them without everybody dying or getting hurt or in this case, getting hacked. We're going to take a quick break, everybody, and then we'll get right into the interview. Uh, But will you come back after, like at the end? Okay, cool. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. We're back. It's ZigZag. Three magazines. That's what my parents always had on their coffee table when I was growing up. was Time, National Geographic, and Consumer Reports. If you're not as old as me and you're not familiar, Consumer Reports is like the original rating system. It's online now, too, of course, but they don't run ads. The way Consumer Reports survives is from subscriptions and donations. 
And that is why we are here today. Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist and now a billionaire philanthropist, has just made a $6 million gift to found a digital lab where a team of Consumer Reports scientists will review smart speakers and connected TVs and apps and the Internet of Things, as it's called. It's going to be embedded in everything we do. So how's that going to work? What is the new reality that they hope to create for us as consumers or work in places where we all have to use these technologies? What is this going to look like and why is it better than what we've got? Here's our conversation. First of all, thank you both so much for doing this and being here. If you wouldn't mind, Marta and Craig, could you please say your name and your title? That'd be great. Marta Tellado, and I'm the CEO of Consumer Reports. Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist and Craig Newmark Philanthropies. Awesome. Marta, let's start with you. Tell us the big news and how it came to be. Well, the big news is that we will be launching something we're calling the Digital Lab at Consumer Reports. If you think about it, all the consumer protections that we have fought hard for over the years and the 80 years that Consumer Reports have been here, they don't really apply to the digital world. There are no standards that we can hold companies accountable for. So, Craig, this is the single largest gift in Consumer Reports history. Why are you doing it? There's a lot of places that I'm sure would love to put your money to work. Why this initiative? Well, Consumer Reports for uh, around 80 years has been really good helping protect consumers regarding the unanticipated consequences of new technology. But it's a big leap. It requires uh, higher skills, more testing facilities, different ways of looking at things. So that's why a little help was needed. I only wish I had been uh, more annoying on the subject because this is a really big deal. Uh, American consumers need a hand regarding these new technologies. Consumer Reports has the history, has the uh, long record of trustworthiness. So it's time to make it happen. My role is just sometimes to be uh, annoying in the right way. One might uh, call that the honest broker role, but... All I know is that a nerd's got to do what a nerd's got to (laughs) do. All right. So I want to nerd out with you, and I want to understand what are the things that you are going to review? How are you going to present this new information? And as, you know, we all know Consumer Reports, I need a dishwasher. Which dishwasher should I buy? How is this going to be different, do you think, Marta? It's going to be different because so many of the harms you can't see. So let me just share a couple of examples with you. Smart TVs go out, we buy a smart TV. Are we really aware of why that TV is smart? And who is it being smart for? Is it listening to your conversation? Is it hackable? Is it tracking the shows that you're watching? And then who gets that information? We did learn that some TVs were more hackable than others, that some were more susceptible and had more vulnerabilities. And so, lo and behold, we published those results. That gives consumers knowledge. They can not only choose the size screen they want, but they can choose one that protects their privacy. That's something they can't really test for. I think you're referring to the reviews that you did. And there was one, you reviewed the Samsung smart TV, right? And they actually ended up making a fix because of your review. Do you mind sharing that? That's exactly what happened. We released the the report and Samsung took note 
And we kind of went up, did it back and forth, which we often do. And we pushed back, they pushed back. But at the end of the day, they did make an update to the software and solve the problem. So that, that was results in real time. My take is that with current technologies, the lives of American consumers will be much better because these new technologies are more demanding and more, uh, oh, they're more effective in terms of things they should do. I mean, I love watching TV. I do not love TV watching me. And I trust consumer reports to help uh, prevent that from, uh, from being a problem. Or as I was leaving a home this morning, I told a smart speaker, hey, uh, turn off the lights. And I was happy that it effectively uh, turned off the lights for me. And since the company involved disclosed that they would maintain some record of that, I'm okay with that. But some companies don't tell you what they're doing, and I want help from Consumer Reports to let me know what's going on. And hopefully that can be worked out between Consumer Reports and the company involved. Yeah, so it sounds like there's going to be some negotiating that you have to do because my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that one of the things Consumer Reports does is they purchase all the things, right? All the the refrigerators and the cars and costs a lot of money, but you do it so that you don't get freebies and so that you can maintain your sort of distance from those companies. But a lot of the things that we're talking about are, some of them are free. Like, are you going to be downloading apps? Are you going to be using like Google Drive? Are you going to be also reviewing the products and services and platforms and apps and all the other things in our lives too? All the above. So you're absolutely right. All of the testing that we're going to be doing is has to do with apps. I'll give you an example of an app that we tested, and this was a fertility app. A lot of women are using them. They're putting a lot of personal data about their fertility, their menstruation, their pregnancies that went full term. And we did use the app. We noticed that there were enormous vulnerabilities there, that that information wasn't, uh, was easily hackable. Same thing. We had a back and forth with the developer, and they adjusted it. On platforms, you're right, it's different. You know, there aren't a whole lot. That w- what we know now is that we have a handful of platforms that really dominate our experience every day. So how do you do uh, a test on a Facebook, for example? Recently, Facebook has added uh, facial recognition. And their objective there was, well, it's easier for you to tag your photos. So we went in, and what we found with some random testing that we did with a number of Facebook um, users, that not every Facebook user had the same opt-out experience. Hmm. Some of them had to search. Some of them couldn't find it. Some of them had different interface. So very difficult and We published the results. Facebook came back and said, hey, you know what? You're right. We need to change that experience. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, tell me more, though, about the iceberg. Because we hear, like, Facebook, how much more criticism can a company take? And yet their earnings are up. The uh, more and more people continue to sign up for the platform Are we in a place where companies, A, are really ready to make big systemic changes like you're talking about, and B, a place where consumers actually care about this stuff that they can't see? Well, I think we're at a turning point. 
there's a lot of discussion about all the ways in which we have to bring some accountability to the table. It's going to take all of us. If you think about this three-legged stool of consumer power, government, and industry, I think that is going to be the key to our success here. Me, my focus will be uh, working with my fellow nerds and helping uh, free the nerds to do a good job for everyone. So when you say the nerds, are you talking about like the big tech founders and creators or are you talking about entrepreneurs who are thinking like, huh, this sounds like a business opportunity. Maybe I should be making things that take privacy seriously. I'm a 1950s style nerd, meaning that I just want to build things and create things. And I don't pay much attention to matters of... Uh, building empires, or that kind of large aspiration. Just want to make things happen. And that's the spirit of Consumer Reports. The idea is with Consumer Reports, they want to do one big task well, which is help consumers with uh, unanticipated consequences of technology. And so when I'm talking about nerds, I'm talking about the people who build things, the people who measure things. The people who look out for other people. So the nerds in Marta's new labs. Yes, let's talk about those nerds. But let's talk about the value, um, the values that we all share as being a part of this this nerd force. <laughs> it is it is a nerd force, isn't it, Craig? Yeah. So it's it's about technology for social good. We can demand that, and I think corporations, industries, they understand that consumers are like this sleeping giant. Yeah. We can demand things. And in the past, we have. Yes, clean water. Yes, pollution-free air. Yes, products that are healthier. All those things don't just happen. That was a whole legacy of providing information, empowering yourself, giving consumers a voice, and making change happen. I'd like to observe that Marta has declared uh, her lab people as the nerd force. I'm expecting that there be... Uh, I'm glad your PR people are here to there, like, take that and run with it in the there, other room. There, need to be, uh, there needs to be T-shirts. We can make up plastic pocket protectors. I already have some. There's a lot of merch that could be produced. Okay, I want to speak on behalf of the people who are not nerds, who, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about the changing culture of uh, work, of businesses, of how we use all the things, all the tools that we now need to do all that stuff. And I I know for me, as a small business owner, I'm like, well, I don't really want to use G Suite, but I don't really have a choice. There's not much else out there. Or, I mean, my my guilty my son just said to me he's like mom he read a book about amazon he's like mom do we have prime and i had to say yes and i feel like as much as and and as someone who knows a lot about this stuff i still use these services and sort of swallow it and you know just i feel as though there's not much of a choice what do we tell consumers who are like i would love to but my boss says well that's right. Consumer choice is a fundamental pillar of a open, free, competitive marketplace. Also, the convenience, right? If you just think about it, 90% of search runs through Google. 80% of families that are connected to the internet use Am- our Amazon Prime members, right? And 80%. 80%. Wow. And half of all online purchases are made on Amazon. So, And there are 2 billion Facebook users. I don't think we're asking the public to to stop using them. We have to balance out the benefits with the trade-offs. We, we have to demand more from them in a different way. 
And I think making some of those trade-offs transparent to folks and understanding that, are you really being served up choice? Are you really being served up what that particular platform wants you to read or buy? Yeah, a platform or any product comes with it, let's say, uh, terms of service or a social contract. And first, those, uh, those terms should be reasonably clear, and it should disclose, in the case of uh, tech, what uh, data it's uh, hoping from you, what data one may want to share with others. Maybe it should ask your, for your permission in any case. This is the principle informed consent. Yeah, because I think what strikes me is what's changed in some ways is just to go back to the connected dishwasher element. It used to be like you buy an appliance and it's the best one for you. But I think what we're talking about with the Internet of Things, with all of our appliances collecting data, with ride-sharing services back to Amazon Prime, is that the choices that we make as consumers now affect society collectively. If you decide to give away your data and not ask for any protection of it, that means that maybe someone who really does need protection of their data doesn't even have that opportunity. Or this, like, it's fine if you use, one person uses Amazon Prime, but when we start to have, as you said, 80% of those online using it, how does that affect the amount of trucks on the road and pollution collectively? So it's this idea of what the consumer is has gotten more complicated. Does that seem right, Craig? Very much so. I do believe in the idea of a social contract. We all work together, you know, in a society for our mutual good. It's a matter of, uh, you know, like, what do we owe each other? And this is articulated by an ethics professor at uh, St. John's out of Australia, a guy named uh, Chidi Adagonye. The deal there is that the basis of morality in that case is, and what do we owe each other? What should we do with each other? And that applies in a big way to technology. Now, granted, Chidi's a fictional figure, but the moral principle is still the same. Oh, it's from the show The Good Place. Uh, which I highly recommend. <laughs> so if you had to sort of imagine what this new world looks like, where we actually have products that are rated for privacy and their ethics in some ways, how does that change our daily lives? Is it a brave new world? that, Maybe that's not a good phrase to use. (laughs) Um, Is it a new day, shall we say, where people actually don't download an app until they've read the review? Well, the direction we're talking about where Consumer Reports is kind of the pointy end of the spear is where when you're looking at something, technology, hardware, software, you can be assured that it's not going to do anything uh, unpleasant or unpredictable to you. For example, and I'm speculating here, but Consumer Reports might say regarding a smart speaker, hey, uh, they're not listening to you and storing your talk when it shouldn't be. And that would be a great relief to a lot of people who hesitate to use smart speakers, and yet they can do a, uh, a, a great deal for you. Last night, for example, I was telling one to uh, start up the most recent episode of uh, the new Star Trek, which uh, stereotypes me pretty firmly and correctly, but I was telling it to to do that, and that's between me and the uh, smart speaker and the streaming service. And if I was a civilian, I might not want someone to know of my uh, deplorable taste in television, Although as an out-of-the-closet nerd, I'm okay with it. 
<laughs> you are out of the closet, I'm afraid, on that one, yeah. So here's the one thing that I can't quite wrap my head around, which is that with some of the platforms that we're talking about, particularly social media, the business model is tied to, as we now call it everywhere, the attention economy, this idea that the more time with your eyeballs, the more ads that get served, the more money the company makes. How can we possibly really make any change to those kinds of companies like social media or media companies in general, where that's the business model that I don't see how we can make change if the goal is to suck us in and target us with micro ads and get us to scroll, scroll, scroll. Until that changes, some of these platforms, that's that's the product, right? We are the product, as they say. Well, when you uh, start using a product of any sort, there is that contract, implicit or explicit, maybe in the forms of terms of service. Usually they're obscured. You can't figure out what's going on and people just agree to them and that's what happens. A newer generation of uh, terms might involve informed consent, wherein the company involved clearly says, here's what we're giving you and uh, here's what we're asking of you. And as a consumer, you might agree, you might think it's a fair exchange, or you might say, not okay. We do need somebody to push ahead, urge this kind of informed consent. Craig, I want to ask you on that note of knowledge and information. Over the last couple of years, you've given a lot of money to journalists. The whole first season uh, of this podcast was about the financial troubles that the industry of journalism faces. The second season was largely about the big and troubling issues of misinformation or disinformation. What is your hope with giving money to journalism schools and New York Public Radio and consumer reports in terms of changing how we get information into the world? It's a long story. A lot of it has to do with rewarding the journalistic uh, institutions who've been practicing trustworthy journalism for some time. We want to do more work, better work, in terms of figuring out what does trustworthy journalism uh, mean. For example, there's the Trust Project, which uh, requires uh, people to listen and include all sorts of different people in the work to have a code of ethics, and then to adhere to that code of ethics. And then there's the support of people at the uh, CUNY Graduate School of Journalism. We need good journalists, and that needs to include people who might not have the economic opportunity to get into good journalism without a bit of a hand. And then there's people who explore the ethics of journalism, what's uh, good, what's okay, okay, in terms of getting a story, how do you deal with issues when, if you're interviewing someone who you find is disinforming you, how do you deal with that? There's other issues. Uh, Ironically, New York is now something of a news desert. Uh, The Times doesn't cover a lot of local news like it used to. The Wall Street Journal made a uh, good attempt but withdrew from that. You know, we live in neighborhoods. We want to find out what's going on in those neighborhoods. So I'm supporting a broad range of activities, all of which, to me, tie together, all of which help regular people, consumers, be informed as to what's really going on so we can make smart decisions about the little things like, uh, oh, what refrigerator to buy, and then we can make smart decisions about uh, boating. Because 
something I learned in high school from Mr. Shulsky, a trustworthy press is the immune system of democracy, and we need it to not fail again. I must follow up by asking, you also gave uh, $20 million to The Markup, a nonprofit journalism startup that its founder, who, full disclosure, is a friend of mine, Julia Angwin, she actually came on this show to talk about investigating big tech and a lot of the issues that Marta's been talking about. But The Markup recently imploded. All three co-founders left. What is the situation there? Well, it's important to stick with uh, just what's known, what's coming out. And for the most part, when there's some kind of resolution, as soon as I know, you'll know. A pervasive moral principle, though, for this or any situation is to treat people like you want to be treated, meaning everyone gets paid. Everyone gets paid. We believe in that, too. Yes. I I would love to just comment on um, the data journalism aspect uh, that Craig's support represents. And we've been talking a lot about the testing of products and big platforms, but our investigative arm um, has had a lot of success in looking at data and examining algorithms um, and see how fair they are, how transparent they are. And we we did an investigation uh, when Julia was at uh, ProPublica on car insurance. Mm. And I think the the myth is that we all think our car insurance is based on our driving record. And what that investigation demonstrated was that it's more related to your zip code, the color of your skin, the neighborhood you live in, uh, and not your driving record. And so that uh, turned our attention to a lot of algorithmic bias that we're going to be confronting in an increasing fashion in this new digital age. And I think the digital lab is going to have increased capacity to do that kind of investigation. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, more with Marta and Craig, plus a lightning round. Are they on Facebook? Do they use Amazon Prime? You'll find out. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. The rest of my conversation with Marta Taedo, CEO of Consumer Reports, and Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist, billionaire philanthropist. Plus, Jen will be back to translate all this into regular English as well. If you are investing in media companies or um, organizations that are nonprofits, how are you measuring success for them? Because we see Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, Mark Benioff bought Time Magazine. They want to turn. The, they want to show that they can turn those companies into money makers. How are you going to know whether your investment worked, Craig? Well, as as a nerd, as an engineer, I want to be able to measure things, but I don't know if that's possible in terms of my objectives, because what I want to do is find areas uh, on a civilizational basis which really matter. For example, trustworthy press is required for this country's survival. I'm not sure how to measure that. All I know how to do is to find the groups and individuals who are actually doing something that means something along those lines, help them get some resources, write some checks, and then the hard part is for me to uh, get out of the way because that's what the ethics of funding nonprofit journalism means. For the most part, you help, you get to talk to people, But for the most part, you get out of the way. Why is that hard for you? 
Well, as an engineer, I like to be a hands-on. I like to know what's going on. I do like to tinker a little bit. And when I have to get something started, whether it's a company or helping with a nonprofit, I'm emotionally invested in that. And yet sometimes the best thing you can do for something is to uh, give them the help they say they need and then get out of the way. I, I do need to ask about uh, there was last April you the company paid a, a settlement for a lawsuit claiming that Consumer Reports violated Michigan privacy law by selling readers' subscription and personal data to third parties without their consent. Can you tell us more about what happened there? Yeah. Well, first, I, I want to say that, you know, that's something that Consumer Reports has always taken uh, really seriously. And we have always invested in our technology so that we are as secure and we are very transparent with our members. And we are very transparent about what they uh, can do to opt out or opt in to whatever services that we provide. And so uh, we, we, in that lawsuit, we, we believe and we know that we did not violate the Michigan uh, statute. Uh, and that is what we have claimed from the beginning. As a nonprofit, there is really a limit to how much we can litigate things. Um, we have to use our resources to do the work that we do. And so we had to decide to settle that, uh, as painful as that was. But, but we've got to focus on the thing that we do, and that is a marketplace that's fair, more transparent, and works for consumers. All right. Lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, a few questions. Are you on Facebook, personally on Facebook? Yes. No. Okay. Do you use Uber, Lyft, Juno, one of those? Yes. Which one? Uber. You do? Huh. Yes. Which one? Uber. Really? Okay. Are you going to rate drive share- ride-sharing apps? I'm dying to know because I have very strong opinions, and I, they're not based on science. They're based on, like, journalism. Stay tuned. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Amazon Prime. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Really? I feel so bad about it every single day. Do you not? Do you not feel bad about it? You'd have to tell us why you feel bad about it. Okay. I will tell you why I feel bad about it. All the packaging. I think it enables me to buy things too easily. They don't let me group my deliveries. Like, I wish I could do that. If I could be like, just don't, don't, I don't want it in one day. Just like, don't create this urgency for me. Stop it. Undercutting small businesses in my neighborhood, bookstores, ruining publishers. I could go on and on and on. The pollution, uh, the way they treat people in the warehouses, collection of data, micro-targeting, whole food. Like, I just, I have a lot of reasons, but I still pay my whatever it is now, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, so I can have it. Do you think consumers are aware of all those things you just said? Well, if they listen to any of the podcasts I make, yes. But it's so, why think about it? Because you just want toilet paper tomorrow morning. Well, I think we've we've got to do our job. You're doing yours, Manoush, on your show. We're trying to do ours at Consumer Reports to educate, shine a light on these practices again. I think, and some people think I'm insane, but I think we're at a, really at a moment. People 
don't quite understand how it all works. They know that they're being taken advantage of and they don't like that. They're ready to not hear so much about the negative and hear about the positive, what they can do, where they can put their money behind their values, how they can make a difference when it comes to big tech and companies and being online and how to spend their time, whether it's with their eyeballs or the work that they do. So I think they've been sufficiently I don't want to say scared, but like uh, awoken to what's going on. But now we need to give them a place to go. That's what it feels like to me. I couldn't agree more. They need a trusted partner to help them make those choices. I think they are ready. Every day we see a headline about your privacy breached, your, you know, technology, security. Uh, We're ready. Yeah. I do think I see a latent uh, tipping point among consumers among the uh, developers of these technologies. And we're insisting that people think through uh, the consequences of technology. Technologists and different companies are starting to work together to uh, find a voice. Thank you both so much again. Thanks. All right, so that was the end of the conversation that I just completed with Marta and Craig, and you were in the booth as we were recording this, Jen. Um, what were you thinking while you were doing this? Were you just like, no one really cares about privacy, or, oh my God, those it's like three of the biggest nerds ever in there, like any other verbal tics that you picked up on? I don't know, what'd you think? All of the above. There are just moments where, you know, you get to the point where you can see this coalescing of essentially like power mm. that we've been talking about between big businesses in Silicon Valley that kind of, you know, especially the big five, Google, Facebook, those all those companies and how much power they have over consumers. Uh, and and there here are three people that are really trying to make a difference to help. So what do you think is like our new reviews of products going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I asked myself whether or not anybody would use would use this this way and if they don't doesn't matter i think what matters a lot is is those companies not just the big tech ones but all the companies knowing that there's a watchdog like out there whether or not the consumers go and look at the ratings the fact that they are going to be publishing their findings and other media organizations are going to pick them up and there will be news mm-hmm. like if you know like that example with the Samsung TV that was overstepping its bounds mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. that was like everywhere yeah. and then Samsung was forced to make a change right. so if these companies feel held accountable then that alone to me could mark a difference but this is baby steps i think yeah. you know it's the start of yeah. this sort of thing that's that's coming together thanks to Cambridge Analytica faster than i expected actually Yes. And I also think it just generally creates more awareness. The more people have that conversation about right. a weird TV that was recording you and you didn't know it, you know, the more people will start to care yes. about this issue. And they are they are creating that awareness. We should have them back and yeah. like check in and yeah. be like, have, like, I don't know, what do you think, in a year? Sure. All right. Let's do that. We're back, everybody, in two weeks with an awesome, completely different kind of episode. You've heard this woman's voice probably many times. Friskies, now serving breakfast. Hello, fall. How you love to make us juggle. 
After all, if you're not whitening, you're yellowing. So grab Crest 3D White White Strips today. Go to MyChronicMigraine.com to find a headache specialist. When Kate collects her pink Yoplait lids, she's... You're going to meet the mom voice of all those commercials, Mallory Kasdan, is awesome. She is the voice behind the microphone, behind your allergy medicine, behind your what the TV shows that your kids are watching. And she's had an incredible career as a voiceover artist. But what happens when an industry dries up? What happens when an industry completely changes and you stop making money? This is what happened to Mallory. And she's going to tell us her story about trying to find her own voice as a mom as a working professional woman. Man, I think I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people. I know people that are going through this in different industries right now, particularly like the fashion industry. Oh, where it like completely changes? Yeah. Like seemingly within overnight. Yeah, within like, a year, I've met people that their businesses are crashing and they, they're, they're going through crazy identity crises. Like I just had a conversation with a stylist the other day that said she's thinking about going back to grad school to become a therapist because the work's just not there. Anxiety will always be there, so we definitely need more therapists. In any case, if this is happening to you, we would love to hear from you. Please record a voice memo and email us at zigzag at stable G. That is zigzag at stable G. Also, hopefully, you are signed up for the newsletter that comes out every other Thursday. I write a very special note. Jen edits it to make sure that I don't have typos because, like, we're super, both of us are super anal about that. She'll also be like, I don't understand what you're trying to say here, and I'll fix it. Very rarely, very (laughs) rarely these days. Um, Links uh, to the best stuff out there. We're trying to curate so you don't feel overwhelmed. Um, Curate it to be about the things we talk about here on the show, and we also fill you in on the other podcasts that we're making here at Stable Genius Productions. Please sign up at stableg.com. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, just thank you for listening. And if you could, please, and you like this show, please share it with five other people. Oh, that's a good ask. Please. I like that one. This episode was produced by me and Jen Poyant. Matt Boynton is our audio engineer and sound designer. David Herman is our composer. Maria Wardle is our production coordinator. Many, many thanks to Anya Zizik for her audio engineering, too. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening. Like Jen said. The worst of it was there was a regrettable incident involving uh, me and a couple wild turkeys. What? But that's before Marta's time. <laughs> Whiskey or birds? Uh, birds. Okay.